Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Good Sunday morning, 7.08. Happy to have you with us this morning. 64 degrees, partly cloudy skies. Dr. David Hilton is coming to us live this morning from northern Minnesota, somewhere in the Northwoods. He's hiding out. (laughs) (laughs) I am, Susie. Good morning. (laughs) I I am at a secret location, Uh uh, and I'm actually marveling at uh, technology because I'm on Stone Lake in northern Minnesota, Mm -hmm. north of Two Harbors, 20 or 30 miles at my sister's cabin. This is a riot of a weekend. I'm with my three older sisters a niece and a nephew, and my 86-year-old parents. Today is my dad, Dick Hilden's 86th birthday. My Wonderful. mom's birthday is in four days. Happy and so both birthday. Thank you. Them. So for yeah. Joan and Dick, we're up here. At, we're, it's beautiful up here. We're, you know, we're playing beanbags. We're going out on the canoe, and we're drinking coffee and having nice oh. food. And here I am up in the boonies, but I get to talk to all of you, and it works. That's here. what I just I just love it. It's working perfectly up here from the boonies. Oh, that's right. The signal is good, and it is lovely up there. If you want to know the truth, Dr. Hilton, we probably saw each other at the grocery store because I was in Two Harbors just yesterday oh, for a couple you? of days with my good friend Nancy, and we went walking on the Superior National Trail. That was nice. Oh, up th- isn't that a beautiful hike? Oh, my gosh. I'd never been on it, if I, if you can believe it. All my life in Minnesota, I've never walked that trail. So. I haven't, I've walked portions of it. You can walk from, like, the Canadian border to Duluth I or even s- south of Duluth. It's, uh, did you do that whole thing? Did you do no. a few hundred miles? <laughs> yeah, I did a few <laughs> hundred miles. No, we think we did five, if that. But it was, you know, I mean, it was a little bit strenuous at times. You know, you got to – I got to yeah. tell you, as we're talking, you know um, – the rocks, you almost don't even look at the beautiful scenery because you really have to keep your feet, your eyes to the path because there's rocks and twigs and various things you can trip over. Seriously, you'll take a tumble down the ridge down, you know, because it can get high up there and there's some nice overlooks over the lake and you do have to stop and and take it all in. And it's beautiful up here this time of year. It's a little bit almost past the peak fall color. I know Minnesotans get like obsessed with the fall color. Um, but there's some pretty trees up here still, though. And I heard as well that because of the drought this year, some of the colors were a little duller. And I think I thought that I, I found that, too, for the ones that I did see. So but yep, just a little a bit be- muted. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful weekend. Well, we have a nice morning ahead for folks listening. We want to remind people they can call 651-461-9226 if they're listening and they have a question. Or they can text. I do have a live feed right now of the text line 
And that text line is the same number as the phone, which is kind of nice, right? 651-461-9226. And we have a special guest with us today, do we not? Should we take a break and then come back? Or how do you want to do this this morning? Well, let me introduce Dr. Hick, and then we'll take a break and we'll dive into the conversation. We are going to talk about emergency preparedness in the state of Minnesota. And fortunately, one of my colleagues at Hennepin Healthcare, HCMC downtown Minneapolis, is Dr. John Hick. And... um, uh, Dr. Hick has, wears a whole lot of hats, and when we get him on, I'll ask him to help us out with some of them. But he works, he's a faculty doctor. Faculty means he's one of the teaching and clinical doctors in, at Hennepin in our emergency department. He's a full professor of emergency medicine at the University of Minnesota Medical School, and but that's not all. He uh, he went to Mayo Medical School, did his training here at Hennepin, and he is the here's some other hats. He's the deputy chief medical director for Hennepin Emergency Medical Services. He's the medical director for emergency preparedness at Hennepin, but he's also a special advisor to the Minnesota Department of Health and has been helping lead our state through this COVID pandemic. And he also advises the hospital preparedness program for the United States Department of Health and Human Services at the federal level. So this guy knows emergency preparedness. This has been one of the handful, just one of the handful of people who have been leading our state through COVID. Dr. Heck, are you on? Can I just say hi to you before we go to a break? He is right here. He called before we even got on the air. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Susie. How are you guys? Hey John, good to have you on the show. Did I get your bio right just there? You you've got a, you wear a uh, lot of hats. He also is a baker. He's a professional. He does a lovely cake and some cookies too. On the <laughs> side, <laughs> I do love to bake and I love to eat. It sugar is a key weakness of mine. So <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> what does it mean to be all those roles? What does it mean? Well, you know, good question. In in the general scheme of things, I mean, I spend a lot of time worrying about stuff that I hope is never going to happen. But unfortunately, these days, a lot of it does seem to be happening. And, um, you know, that's something we'll, we'll talk about when we come back here. But our system has never been as challenged as it is now. So I, I you know, we'll have a good conversation and uh, talk about where the, where the system is, where it's been, and, you know, maybe in the future where we hope to get to. Sounds like a deal. We'll take a break, Susie. If we could, we'll come back and talk to John Hick about emergency preparedness. That is fantastic. You are listening to Healthy Matters on this Sunday morning, 651-461-9226. Dr. Hilton, we're already getting some texts, and then we haven't even started. So we'll get to those, plus more with Dr. Hicks after this on News Talk. Seventeen minutes now past seven o'clock on a Sunday morning. A few clouds out there, sixty-four degrees. Dr. David Hilden with us, as is our special guest, Dr. John Hick, a faculty emergency physician at Hennepin Healthcare and professor of emergency medicine at the University of Minnesota Medical School. Welcome back to both of you. We're talking about emergency preparedness, right? Indeed, we are. Uh, we have Dr. John Hick, who is not only the director at Hennepin of Emergency Preparedness, but has been advising the state of Minnesota. So, John, if you could sort of summarize for our listeners and for Susie and me here, how has the state of Minnesota done in general compared to what you're seeing in the rest of the country on our COVID response? Well, it's a great question, Dave. And and let me just say the opinions I'm going to express today are, are only my own. So I'm not, not expressing opinions on behalf of Hennepin or MDH or HHS. So I think Minnesota has been uh, excellent um, in a lot of areas. Um, I think when the initial emergency, the peacetime emergency declaration was put in place, Governor Wells made some 
you know, really great moves with the social distancing, um, mask mandates. You know, I think we did a lot of things right. And I think, you know, in general, Minnesota continues to be a healthy state with um, good leadership. I think since the peacetime emergency has expired, though, we've actually been challenged in a lot of ways that, that we hadn't anticipated with healthcare staffing. Uh, even as vaccination rates have climbed, you know, the Delta variant continues to challenge us. And so the absence of the peacetime emergency powers that Governor Walls had uh, is really affecting us as far as our ability to, you know, essentially give some levers to coordinate some of the hospital response and make sure that the patients have access to the care that they need, uh, as well as potentially, you know, some governor's executive orders to help with, you know, healthcare worker licensing, uh, to maybe facilitate uh, additional mask mandates uh, and other things. So I think we're we're still doing a good job, but I think unless the legislature takes some action or Governor Walls redeclares a peacetime emergency, we're, we are going to be missing some key elements uh, that would help us to respond better. And I hope we're not going to need those for too much longer, but certainly for the next month, it looks like it's going to be a little rocky ahead. Yeah. It, one thing I've learned, and I know nothing about this prior to COVID, is that you need a structure where people have defined roles and they know what they're going to do. And I guess one of the things you're alluding to is maybe if you have a whole bunch of people making the decisions, it's more challenging to do that. You, you've you been doing this for years, decades. Is that not true that some kind of clarity of decision making is rather important? No question. So we talk about what's called incident management or incident command. And, you know, for us really at the state level and when you involve many, many hospitals and healthcare systems and EMS and long-term care and everybody else, it really is, you know, much more coordination and incident management. But you have to have somebody that's in charge. You have to have some delegated authority and then you have to have some leverage. And, and Governor Walls had that early with the ability to for example, tell the hospitals not to do elective surgeries, which was probably, you know, too much of a blunt instrument because we didn't get the surge at that time uh, that we thought we were going to get. Uh, partially, that was done to conserve personal protective equipment, which was in desperately short supply at that time. So, you know, it, it was effective for that. But at the same time, I think everyone is so reluctant to, you know, go back to those kind of, um, you know, blunt policy instruments that it, it's been a little difficult you know, to exert the kind of authorities that, that are needed, either from the governor's office or, or from the legislature. And the Minnesota Department of Health, at the end of the day, doesn't have a whole lot of freestanding power, you know, to, you know, coordinate this kind of a response. So right now, you know, we're really kind of on our own, uh, and that's not a really good, you know, place to be. We need, you know, strategic leadership. Um, you know, we need some levers of, of government to support the, the private health sector, health sector response, this always has to be about a public-private partnership. You know, healthcare is in the private sector, but there's a very public responsibility right now that, that the healthcare sector has to meet the needs of the citizens of the state. Dr. Hickett, Susie, uh, Governor Walz has said he's not going to recall a peacetime emergency, and you mentioned the th- things that you would like to see done. What are some of those things that you'd like to see back in place to help get through through this challenging time? I know staffing was one. Are there others? So the legislature has uh, the potential to, you know, pass some legislation that would allow us to more easily bring nurses and physicians into the state to help. We have a relatively strict licensing policy in the state. We're not a member 
uh, as most states are, of an interstate licensing compact that allows, you know, staff, including nurses, to travel, you know, easily into Minnesota to work. And that's a detriment to us as far as trying to get some of those jobs filled. So uh, that's one thing that could be done. There's other, you know, regulations surrounding healthcare and the practice of healthcare that, you know, could be suspended either temporarily, um, you know, or, or modified on a more permanent basis that would be you know, helpful. Um, I don't see the legislature passing a mask mandate. I, I think, honestly, in most public places, we need one again for at least the next month uh, to shut down some of the transmission of COVID. Um, I think we need additional testing requirements right now in schools and other congregate facilities uh, in order to monitor the populations where, where COVID is again taking off. Um, I'd like to see some additional liability protection for healthcare providers that are you know, serving essentially by, you know, providing advice to, you know, physicians who might be taking care of patients in, you know, small rural facilities where honestly those patients shouldn't be receiving their care anymore. They should be in a critical care bed in a, in a major hospital, but, you know, those beds are in short supply. So there's a number of things the legislature, you know, could do. Um, there's other things on my wish list too, as far as coordinating, you know, better where patients go in the state and uh, how we prioritize, you know, getting the, the patients to the right place to get the right care. And a follow-up to that, do you have the ear of anyone very important that could further your cause? Well, I have their ear, and, and that's nice, and, and I have tremendous respect for... You know, Are we talking about Jan Governor Malcolm? Walls. Oh, okay, go ahead. Yeah. Yep, yep, so so Jan Malcolm, Governor Walls, you know, I've, I'm in touch with, you know, with uh, their offices or, or them, you know, personally, um, but they're, you know, subject to a lot of competing, you know, opinions and, and interests. And, um, you know, Commissioner Malcolm is in a very difficult position, you know, with, with potentially the threat of, of losing her job during a special session. Uh, you know, I, I'm disappointed at those kind of political maneuverings, you know, during this kind of a public health crisis. But um, it puts, you know, Governor Wells and, and Commissioner Malcolm in some difficult positions, you know, that that's the things that they would like to be able to do are, are very difficult to do. And I understand the, the pressures from, you know, many different angles that they're under. But uh, the reality of the situation is that, you know, um, politics does play a role in, in this response, as does uh, private interest, you know, no question. Um, hospitals are, you know, making sure in a lot of cases that they are still getting, you know, surgeries and procedures done uh, in order to just maintain their their viability economically, but it's putting tremendous pressure on on the healthcare systems and the healthcare workers uh, in the process of doing that. John, you know, um, uh, many of the listeners don't know this, but I also did training in public health, and I, I just have to say, Commissioner Malcolm has a heck of a job, and she's a skilled, skilled leader, <laughs> and so I am. I'm flabbergasted at uh, some of the pressures that she has been under as well. She is a gift to Minnesota, everybody, and so we should we should be supportive of MDH. I have another question for you. I took a call from a little bitty hospital in in Greater Minnesota, and who, a, a a doctor nearly in desperation, needing help, asking us for our advice on how to treat a patient that, frankly, had no business being treated in the small hospital, not because the staff at the small hospital wasn't good, but because they didn't have the the resources and the, the, the technology. They didn't have anything to care for someone this critically ill. And this poor doctor had been calling for hours, looking for a hospital anywhere in the state of Minnesota and couldn't find one. And so well, how how... 
th- th- that's a crisis. I think people don't realize there is a crisis in healthcare in, in Minnesota. Nearly every hospital is full. When we're talking about how many ICU beds we have available, and we're talking in the single digits in the metro area, each hospital has a one or two. Um, people need to know your hospitals in Minnesota don't have infinite resources. What do you think needs to happen? Is it bringing in more nurses from outside? Or, and, and how much... How much coordination is being done across our state about our bed shortage problem? Well, good question, Dave. And, and I second your comments by Commissioner Malcolm. She has been a public servant uh, of you know incredible repute for her entire career, and I just you know hats off to her. Um, she has done everything for the state, and sometimes you know gets a lot in return that she doesn't deserve. So she's an incredible woman. Um, I, you know, from a state standpoint, we formed early on the Critical Care Coordination Center, or C4, which is a toll-free number that any hospital that has a patient that needs to get to a different facility because that facility doesn't have a bed, they can call that number and we'll try to get them a bed. So, you know, early on, our placement rates with the C4 were, you know, excellent, and we were doing really well. Um, And we had a process in place by which if we couldn't find a bed, for you know, a patient in a hospital like you just described, you're a rural facility, you're, you may not be affiliated with a healthcare system, you don't have the resources that you need. For example, you've got a, a person who's got a gastrointestinal bleed and they're bleeding really fast and their blood pressure is low and all you have is two units of blood at the facility and you don't have GI services and you don't have a whole lot of other things that you need and you can't get that patient to another hospital. And that's what we're finding with C4 right now is they're placing less than half of those requests. Um, And so people, the providers are having to call around in in desperation to, you know, many of the major hospitals to try to find those patients a bed. Now that to me is totally unacceptable. And we had an agreement amongst the major health systems uh, during the early phase under the peacetime emergency that we would rotate placement of those patients and we would screen those uh, calls and have a critical care physician, you know, basically work with that facility to make sure we got that patient to the right place. Since the peacetime emergency has expired, we have neither of those two resources. And so right now, uh, a number of those patients are sitting in limbo. Uh, right now, uh, it, we have zero ICU beds available aside from like one pediatric intensive care unit bed in the state. And in many cases, we're holding intensive care unit patients in the emergency department. I had 17 critical patients on my last Saturday night shift, and we had three patients who remained intubated in the emergency department waiting for intensive care unit beds. That's um, pretty unprecedented, and and these are some unprecedented times uh, in my career. We statewide are holding about 120 plus people in emergency departments that need inpatient beds that we just don't have beds for. Is that just staggering to you, Doctor Hick? I mean, is it just? I mean, it, it sounds horrible. Yeah. It just sounds horrible. No, it's unprecedented. I've never seen this in 25 years. And and it's a combination of really tight staffing as well as just everything else. You know, last night in St. Paul, we had 14 people shot. And and our trauma numbers are through the roof this summer and fall. Our overdose and, and, you know, complications of chemical dependency and mental health numbers are way up. Our cardiac and neurologic complications are up, uh, perhaps because people haven't been, you know, getting the, the usual care that they need during the last 18 months. But, you know, however you slice it, and COVID is making up about a third of our, our inpatient intensive care unit beds. And a lot of those are young patients, so they're in those beds longer. They're not dying. 
most of them are surviving, but it is taking a long time to get them through. And all of that is contributing to unprecedented pressures on the healthcare system. So this is unique. And yeah. uh, I think, unfortunately, we're in for several all of that is contributing to unprecedented pressures on the healthcare system. So this is unique. And yeah. uh, I think, unfortunately, we're in for several more weeks of this before we see some light at the end of the tunnel. I know 14 people were shot last night in St. Paul, Dr. Hick. And, um, yeah, and here's the deal. We're yeah. getting a text from someone who always wants to take a different angle. They say, yeah, yeah, 14 people were shot in St. Paul. Let's keep blaming COVID for care shortages. What this texter doesn't realize is not what Dr. Hick just he said. Just a third said of the, it, yeah. A third of the patients in the ICU have COVID. And and so uh, that texter is maybe not um, – doesn't have complete information there. Yeah. Hey, let's take a well, break. But it's you a got... good point. Oh, yeah, right. Go ahead. Finish that thought, and then we'll do some weather. It, but go it's ahead. a good point that, you know, COVID is still taking up a minority of the, the resources here. But at the same time, um, again, numbers are up on everything across the board, but it's a key component because we never have 30% of spare intensive care unit resources, right? We might have 5 or 10% on a routine day, and uh, that's all we got, you know. So tight times for sure. Yeah. All right, we'll take a quick break. Uh, we have some people on the phone. We're getting some texts. So it's 651-461-9226. It's Healthy Matters on a Sunday morning here on WCCO Radio. Good morning. It is Healthy Matters on a Sunday morning. Happy to have you with us. My name is Susie Jones. Dr. David Hilton is on our news line from the northern part of the state. Dr. John Hick is also with us, a faculty emergency physician at Hennepin Healthcare and professor of emergency medicine at the University of Minnesota Medical School. And we've got some texts. We've got some calls at 651-461-9226. Let's take a call from Wally. Wally, go ahead. You are on the air. Wally's calling from Montevideo this morning. How are you, sir? Very good. Good morning and uh, another great show, doctors and Susie. My question is the availability of the Moderna booster shot. Where I live, it's been rumored that some people have gotten it. I called our local hospital and clinic, got a couple varied answers. They said it's possible with uh, over 65 medical conditions and with the doctor's permission. I wasn't aware it was even available yet or on the market. Can you clear that up for me? Dr. Hick, thanks for your call, Wally, and hey to all the folks out in Montevideo. Uh, Dr. Hick, what do you know about the boosters for the other two vaccines other than Pfizer? Yeah, it's a great question. So Moderna booster is available for those who are immunocompromised right now. Um, The wider availability of a booster similar to the Pfizer vaccine is is not yet approved. Um, Moderna remains under an emergency use authorization, which means the people that it can be given to are are quite limited. Doctors don't have a lot of discretion about who to give it to. But if you are immunocompromised right now, you can get the booster. And Moderna has submitted the data to FDA for broader boosters similar to the Pfizer vaccine, uh, which we expect relatively shortly. All right. Very good. And we've got a number of text questions as well, Dr. Hick. Uh, One person writes us, is it risky going to a Vikings game or a gopher hockey game? I think a lot of people wondering about that with this surge and wearing masks, not wearing masks, that kind of thing. 
Yeah, great question. And, you know, it's one of those things. Um, nobody can calculate the absolute risk of that right now. But if it were me, I personally or a family member, I would not want them going unless they were wearing a mask that provided a pretty good level of filtration. Now, if you do that, you're probably going to be safe. Uh, along with good, you know, check your hands once in a while with some alcohol rub. Um, but I wouldn't go without wearing a, a you know, good filtering mask. Do you think a lot of people are getting a little lax, myself including, about mask wearing? I think we're all talking about, you know, oh, remember when we had that little minute after the vaccine came out where we all thought, oh, we're free. And then blammo, here comes the Delta variant. Um, you know what I mean? There's some sort of wishy-washiness, I think, around mask wearing? No question. A lot of people have reduced their mask wearing. And I think, you know, right now we really need to remember that I think it's until we get our case counts going down. And right now, Minnesota is number eight, um, you know, on the COVID incidence uh, by population nationally. So we're in a pretty hot area. And so wearing masks is really important. The study out of Bangladesh where they randomized communities to either wear you know, no masks or give them no masks, essentially give them uh, some simple masks or give them some high filtration masks is really compelling, uh, along with other data we have, you know, the CDC looking at counties where mask mandates were put into place. Masks work. There, there's no doubt about it. And the better mask you wear and the better it seals to your face, the better it's going to work. So especially as weather gets cooler and it's not as bad a thing to be wearing a mask uh, until we get these, you know, these case curves coming down, it's going to be a really important contributor to staying healthy. So John, you said Minnesota is number eight and I want to remind people that's eight is higher is bad. We don't want to be number one. Why do you think we're, we're doing, we're getting worse on our case counts? I know it's really, really bad in Montana, Idaho, and North Dakota. Is it just heading eastward from there or, how does this how is it popping up around our country because it was in the southern part and then it was in Montana and Idaho and now it's getting bad here again why do you think that is that we're getting these pop-ups all over the country you bet it really has been a wave you know it, it really started in the southern states and now it is kind of rolling through you know the upper midwest and and the northwest uh, so I think that's a natural progression. We're seeing the case counts you know drop off pretty you know effectively and and significantly now in the south um, as our cases start to rise. So but the curves, the the way we peak and fall have been a lot longer um, now than than it was during you know previous events. The Delta variant is not behaving the way you know that the the wild type, the initial virus did. And so I think we're you know again in for this for a little while longer. Schools going back in, it, it seems, has in no question contributed um, you know to our case counts and in our cases. And you know, I think getting the approval, the, the uh, approval of the vaccination for five to 11 year olds, it's expected that, you know, any time now is going to be huge. Um, you know, that's going to be a really big advance. And I'm looking forward to that very, very much. Uh, until that happens, you know, I think we're going to continue to see cases increasing, especially in our greater Minnesota, you know, communities. When you look at the, at the counties that are hardest hit right now on a national level, We've got, you know, we have Wadena, we've got Faribault, we've got, you know, many uh, counties and, and cities in Minnesota that are hotspots uh, of the nation. Can I read a few of these texts? Most of them are comments about, about you, Dr. Hick, and I just want you to hear them. First of all, one says, John is not only a respected colleague, but also a dear friend who is my sounding board through my late husband's brain cancer fight. I am so grateful to call him friend. So just a shout out to you, John. Um, I'm going to read a couple more that get to sort of the controversial nature of the pandemic. Here's one that says, thank you, Dr. Hick. Minnesota needs to hear what you have to say. Here's another one. 
Dr. Hick, thank you for not sugarcoating what is happening. This is real, and we are not going to get out of it if it is sugarcoated. Already you have people arguing with you. So do you, are you finding that in your work across the state? Is Are, are we sensing a lack of collaboration in, in Minnesota, everybody roll up our sleeves together and get this thing done? Does that worry you that we're, that we're not all on the same page in this in our country? And what, what are your thoughts on that? We could spend you know a couple hours talking about this, but I think you, you know, know we the, could the, disin- the disinformation that is out there about vaccines in particular and about mask use and other things is is just so incredibly depressing to me as a doctor because you know what what we're considering you know kind of basic public health measures here have become um, you know a political personal issue and and I'm just really saddened to see that because these are things that we should all be doing in common to protect each other, not just protect ourselves. It's really hard to you know deal with that because generally speaking, um, you know those the individuals that that hold you know beliefs that, that run counter to um, you know the evidence. It's really tough to shake that, and you know even patients that come in who have COVID and are getting breathing tubes put in, um, you know will continue to say, "You can't tell me I have COVID. It's not a thing." Or sometimes it is, "I should have gotten the vaccine." And that's the saddest thing, you know, when you're talking to them for what might be the last conversation they're going to have with anybody. And they say, I wish I'd gotten the vaccine. Well, we have more people texting in at 651-461-9226. And if you have a question, you can actually even call that number at 651-461-9226. A person writes this morning, uh, traveled to Minnesota from San Antonio last week. I'm a former Minnesota resident on first visit in two years after exiting the airport was stunned by the lack of mask wearing everywhere we traveled, including at restaurants in the shadow of Mayo Clinic, uh, a hotel, coffee shop, staff not wearing masks. We feel safer in Texas where everyone wears masks. So it is interesting. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't yeah, think Texas. I don't know, whatever. But go ahead. You know, it's a bizarre <laughs> Why do you laugh? Just because? Well, because we don't think of Texas right. as maybe being the safest place. Texas is a weird thing. It's like it's its old its own country down there because you've got you know Austin and Houston and Dallas, and then you've got the rest of the state. And I think that the, Texas is a mosaic. Yes, <laughs> I think. Yes. I think of our country, and everybody seems to have an opinion about Texas. But that's an interesting text that the person found. That's not a good commentary on us, Minnesota. You know, you don't wear the mask so much for yourself. It protects you, it does, but you're really wearing it for your fellow human means. That's why you're wearing it. It's wearing a mask doesn't say that I'm a I'm un I'm a I'm a scaredy cat or I, I'm a sheep and I'm staying in my basement. Wearing a mask simply means I care about you. That's Some, what it says. Dr. I care Hilda, about other people. Somebody snarked at me at the state fair. I had it on, and they like <laughs> actually like booed me or you know I'm like oh gosh what? yeah like come on. Yeah, I'm not I, hurting I, you to I wear think, a mask. Fun, fundamentally, you know, I think uh, we need to have more respect in this country for each other. Um, you know, this country, uh, pluribus unum, um, you know, of many, one. And I think we need to respect opinions and, and respect each other um, and respect choices, you know, and, and that goes for, you know, mask wearing. Um, that goes for reasoned dialogue about, you know, what makes the most sense, what is you know, evidence-based, what is rational, and, and honestly, you know, take a look at the impact. What are what are the downsides, you know? And right now, these vaccines have, you know, have been given to over 6 billion people worldwide, and the size 
are, what are the downsides, you know, and right now these vaccines have, you know, have been given to over 6 billion people worldwide and the side effect profile uh, is well known. Um, it is nominal, you know, are, are there a few unknowns yet? Yes, but there's a lot of things about the COVID virus long-term that we know to be true and the long-term effects of COVID are proving to be very, very significant, you know, pulmonary problems and, and cognitive problems and other things. Now, I do want to say that, that I don't think we're stuck with masks forever. I think once Delta, this Delta wave passes, which I hope is going to be within the next month or two, um, I do think we're going to be able to, you know, get back to a little bit more um, normalization and subsequent waves of COVID, I'm, I'm really hoping, are not going to have the effect that Delta is having right now because either the population will be vaccinated by that point or because they will have some immunity from getting the Delta virus. So I'm hoping that subsequent waves won't be as bad and we're not going to be stuck in, in an infinite cycle of this. I do hope, though, that it's going to be a relatively mellow flu year again. Uh, and that remains to be seen. Um, I think people are, are focusing right now on the COVID vaccines and uh, rightfully so, but don't forget about that flu vaccine because the fact that we had no flu last year um, sets us up for some big trouble this year if we've got a big unvaccinated population. All right, very good. It is 7.46 on a Sunday morning. You are listening to Healthy Matters. We'll take a quick break and then more of your calls at 651-461-9226. Your text to that's that same line, 651-461-9226. We're back after this. It is 7.50 on a Sunday morning. Healthy Matters, Dr. David Hilden, Dr. John Hick, our special guest this hour. And David and John, we have a call from Marsha in St. Paul. An interesting question. Go ahead, Marsha. You're on the air with the doctors. Good morning. Thank you for all the work you do. I'm a healthcare worker as well. I would like your opinions about neck gaiters. We have so many people who think that they're masks, and I know they're not. All right. Like what constitutes a mask? Can you just put a piece of cloth over your face and that's it? Like- John, you want to take that one? You bet. Great question. There are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of neck gaiters out there, and the vast majority of them, uh, unfortunately, don't provide any significant filtering. You know, one good way you can test uh, whether or not you're getting, you know, filtering is to basically blow through the fabric. And if you can feel any air movement, uh, you know, on the other side of the fabric, then it's really not doing much for filtering. Um, the, the filtering masks, like a medical grade mask, uh, really do provide a substantial level of protection over you know, any of the cloth masks. But if you're going to wear a, a simple fabric mask, then you know, two layers are better. Uh, some filter media in between is better. There's a lot of really good ones out, where, out there right now, and their availability is quite good. But uh, yes, there's a lot of folks that are, are sort of wearing a mask in name only, and a lot of times they're very thin. You know, sun protectors, the neck gaiters um, are being worn and pulled up over the face. And unfortunately, most of those don't offer, you know, much for filtration. All right. Very All good. right. Thanks if I that. could. Oh, go ahead, Dr. Hilden. Yeah, there's a few more questions, John. And I want, if you could take this one, and I know we're running um, a little bit low on time, but I get questions a lot about people that are along this lines, and I want you to take one to see, see how you answer it. My daughter is getting married next week. It will be an outdoor ceremony and an indoor reception. I am fully vaccinated and received my booster as well two weeks ago. Do I need to wear a mask at her wedding? This is just what's on people's mind, and so it's understandable. What can she do? 
at a wedding? Yeah, these questions are so hard because uh, there is not a specific right answer. And everyone, you know, has to kind of just make a risk-benefit decision, you know, to the best of their ability. What I will say is that, you know, we unfortunately had have had and, and continue to have, you know, an occasional person who, you know, winds up dying of COVID, you know, a gentleman who came in after getting his normal vaccine series with bad pneumonia and, and died here, you know, within the past several days. So it's happening. But if you're fully vaccinated outdoors, I would not be concerned. Um, indoors, however, if you're in a receiving line or something where you're, you know, in direct face-to-face contact with a lot of individuals, um, I would, you know, if it was me, I would wear a mask just because of where we are with transmission rates in the state right now. Um, try to keep the area as well ventilated as you can, and to the degree possible, you know, anything you can keep outside for activities is is for the best. We see very little spread in outdoor environments. And what about? Getting your hands on one of those masks that you mentioned earlier in terms of the ones that are most comfortable and most effective, because I know I wear different cloth ones and I always feel like I can't breathe. (laughs) But sometimes, you know, you have the N95 one. There is a little more of a tent, a little more room to have that breath in front of you. So are those easy to find, hard to find? You know what I mean? That's my question personally. Fortunately, right now, you can go on most major websites uh, and, you know, find KN95 masks, which are certified to an overseas standard of filtration or actual, you know, NIOSH, which is National Institutes for Occupational Health and Safety um, certified N95 masks. What folks will find is pretty significant differences between those masks and how they fit in your face, because all of our faces are different, uh, and also just how you feel breathing through them. Some of the masks are pretty easy to breathe through, and, and others, frankly, are not. So it may take a little bit of experimentation to you know, find one that seems to fit you comfortably and is, is comfortable enough to breathe through. So I wouldn't order, you know, don't order them in bulk until you've played around with a few of them and, and know that they're comfortable and fit you well. Yeah, I, I bought some KN95s, and I know they're not they're not manufactured to U.S. standards, but they're they're pretty good, and they're better than some of most of the cloth things we're wearing. And so I found what I liked, and I bought them, and I'm buying thirty or forty at a time, and they're much more comfortable. You so can you send can't... me one, Doctor Hilden. Uh, yeah, I'll give you one, Susie. You give you see if you want to <laughs> give it a try. Hey, here's a text that that somebody wrote. I was in Las Vegas last week, and masks were everywhere. Do better, Minnesota. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's a. A nice little comment there. Uh, Let's see. uh, More from the text line. What do you suggest about getting your first flu shot or getting the Pfizer booster shot? Uh, What what do you think about that, Dr. Hick? Great question. You you can get those shots together. Uh, I have to say I did just that here last week, uh, and I was definitely... feeling, um, you know, unwell for a period of about 24 hours or so. Uh, as after the Pfizer vaccine, my second vaccine, you know, I, I had, you know, brief fever and, and some achiness. So I think there there are more side effects when you get the flu vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine together. At the same time, it is convenient and it's safe, you know, so if you want to do that, by all means. Otherwise, I would just recommend uh, two weeks in between, you know, those vaccinations. So, you know, whatever vaccine is available and, and convenient for you to get, um, you know, get the one if you want to get both, you know, great. Uh, if you want to space them out, space them out by two weeks. 
Yeah, you and me both. I got my my Pfizer booster about four days ago, and I it does not help. But you know, people should be. We have to be realistic about that. You do get a little bit achy, and you might have a little low grade fever, but it's temporary, and it does go away. And so, just thank you, thank your immune system for doing what it's supposed to do. People often ask, "Well, did you get any side effects from the booster?" Well, yeah, you get a little. You feel a little punky. You might have a, this fever, and frankly, I was really tired. I was lethargic. But that being said, that was just a few days ago, and here I am, and I'm doing just fine. And Dr. Hicks doing just fine, and it's all better than getting COVID. And whether you're pregnant, whether you're, and if you're a 12-year-old, um, it's the way to get back to school safely. So I can't encourage you enough, and I think Dr. Hick would agree, get your vaccinations, wear your masks. People want to know what they can do. Those are the things you can do. You can be safe and help your fellow Minnesotans, and you can help us end this thing earlier. And it's okay. It's okay if you have questions, and it's okay if you're hesitant. But then but then take that and, and do try to get trusted information. We have a number of texts that I'm not going to read you that are basically accusing us of falsifying things in line. We're not. Uh, Dr. Hick and I don't have any 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 reason to falsify things. So everybody just, um, you know what to do. And I think we can get this through together. Dr. Hick, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's a treat to have somebody. It is a privilege to have somebody as skilled as you to join us today. Thanks a ton. Good to have you. And remember, thank you. And thanks, Susie. Yeah, thank you. Have a wonderful day and go to hennepinhealthcare.org slash COVID vaccine if you want to sign up and get your vaccination. Again, it is the answer to not getting COVID-19. It is 7.57 on a Sunday morning. It's Healthy Matters. See you next week for Open Phones. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.